two, in just a bit, page two of those notebooks that you have. And you see on the screen and also on the front cover of those workbooks that the series that we're engaged in is called Get a Life, Personal Management for Personal Ministry. And I'll explain what that's about in a bit. But if you were with us last week, we began the series and covered the first page in the notebook. Today, we'll begin page number two and following. So if you missed last week, you've only missed the the one lesson. And if you miss any of our lessons, they're all recorded, and they're on our website under the media section at our, our website, and the website is listed down at the bottom of the screen there, if you can see that, communitybaptist.to, and you can listen to any of our sermons or, or lessons there, so you can pick up last week's that way. So welcome one and all. Let me just to give a review as quickly as I can about what we're trying to accomplish in this course, and then we will get into the, the material. But as the title of the class suggests, Get a Life, and it's managing yourself personally, myself personally, so we can engage effectively in ministry, uh, each of us, this class is really about, about purpose. And I said last week that purpose is a great gift from God to us. And I made the point last week that for those of us who are followers of Christ, that knowing our purpose is available. It's something that we don't have to guess at. There is no excuse, I mentioned last week, for any of the followers of Christ to live what I called aimless lives. To kind of float through life not knowing what I'm here for, what it is I'm supposed to be accomplishing. And so God has given us this great gift that many people never have. They never know what their purpose is. They really don't know why they're here. And not knowing why they're here, they don't order their lives intentionally around that that purpose. And so it's a great gift that's been afforded to you and to me that a good God has written a book and has given us enough instructions about himself and about ourselves and about his reasons for creating that we can see what our purpose is and then order our lives accordingly, which is the second major point I made last week. The purpose is not only a great gift, but pursuing purpose has to be done intentionally. That the Bible teaches that God is, is sovereign, that he is in control of everything that happens in his world. And therefore, because that's true, God's purpose is going to be achieved. You know, God's okay. You don't have to worry about God. His purpose will be achieved. Absolutely, without fail. As a matter of fact, no matter what you do, his purpose is going to be achieved. And it'll turn out that no matter what you and I end up doing, it'll turn out to have contributed to his his purpose. And that's why the Bible says famously, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. His purpose is going to be achieved. Yours may or may not be. Mine may or may not be. That depends on whether or not I've been intentional about pursuing it. So I can't simply float through life and and say, well, God's purpose is going to be achieved. Therefore, my purpose is going to be achieved. His will, yours may or may not. That depends on whether you intentionally pursue it. I gave some examples of that, you know, last week. Lots of them. But, you know, Jesus was, was murdered. Well, that was God's purpose. There were people involved in that. But they don't get any credit for intentionally pursuing the glory of God. 
But the glory of God comes out of that, lo and behold. Or the story of Job. Job had all of these uh, misfortunes befall him. They were all in the control of a sovereign God, but he lost his possessions, he lost his health, he lost his family. There were actors that participated in that. There were people who stole his stuff, stole his cattle. At the end of the book of Job, chapters 38 through 42, those last five chapters, it becomes very clear that God intended for Job to learn a lesson, which he, which he did. And he was restored tenfold on, on all of those things, if you recall. It ended happily. But all of these actors in chapter 1 who stole his stuff can't say, hey, we achieved our purpose. Because that wasn't their intention. And so we will only achieve our purpose and please God in that pursuit if we're intentionally ordering our lives in the direction that he's designed for us. God's purpose is going to be achieved. Yours may or may not. Depends on whether or not you live intentionally. Further, the purpose that God has for us is always, at all times and in all places. In the first part of your Bible, before Adam and Eve were created, after Adam and Eve were in the garden, after Adam and Eve fell, now moving forward to the time we live in, 2010, 2,000 years after God has come to earth in Jesus Christ, in all of those epochs, in all of those times, God's purpose has always been the same. It is to bring glory to himself, always. The only issue is this. How is God going to achieve that glory at a particular time? And in Scripture, God has informed us that although His purpose, His overarching purpose to receive glory is always the same, never changes, the means by which He achieves that glory does change. And so one of the things we have to do together over the next few weeks is look at what God has said in Scripture about the time we live in. And it does have lots to say about the time we live in. And how it is that God's glory is being achieved now, and then that will help you and me to order our lives around the pursuit of that purpose. But just for now, understand that God's purpose is always the same. It's for Him to receive glory, but He does it at different ways and at different times. And here's a final thing before we get into today's material. In order for us to pursue our purpose, we need some practical help. But a good God has instructed us about that practical help. For instance, in Titus chapter 2, in your Bible, Titus chapter 2, God gives instructions about older women instructing younger women. And older men instructing younger men. And it gives information about what these younger women need to be taught by the older women. About these, these ladies need to be taught how to love their husbands and children. And to be, Titus 2 says, keepers at home. It says that their, their primary place of, of work is going to be their home. Even if they have a job outside of the home, that's still going to be their primary, primary place. But they need to be taught how to do that. Now, one of the reasons that God bothers with that, those practical kinds of personal details of women knowing how, the role they're supposed to play and young men knowing the role they're supposed to play is this. We need practical help if we're going to pursue our purpose. Because if our personal lives are a mess, then as much as we might want to pursue God's purpose intentionally, be in the game. We're not going to be able to do that. We're certainly not going to be able to do it effectively, are we? In many of our churches, people exist that way, perpetually. A mess. 
and we don't do what the Bible says and have older women helping the younger women and the older men helping the, the younger men to, in effect, get it together, order their lives, so that they can actually pursue what God has called us to pursue. Well, I'm convinced that in order for us to pursue our purpose, it requires practical help and that the Bible actually commands those of us in the church to provide that help. That's why I've subtitled this this series. You see the subtitle, Get a Life, Personal Management for Personal Ministry. Because it's my observation, and I think most of you would agree, you may well be in this situation. I can't really engage in personal ministry, pursuing God's purpose, if my personal management isn't together. So i got to have some personal management so that I can do the personal ministry. And so we're here to help. And part of that help is found beginning on page two. Providing instruction on how to put together a mission statement for yourself and for myself. And so today is going to be devoted to looking at an example of what a personal mission statement, which is attempting to order your life around your your purpose, would look like. Now, of course, nobody has to do this. Of course, you might have a better one. But this is simply an example, and if you've got a better one, great, use it. This didn't come out of, directly out of Scripture. This is not holy writ. This is my two cents on how to get your act together. If you, if you can get it together using this or variations of this, then honestly, that's, that's wonderful. But I think for many of us, looking at something like this and taking it seriously and intentionally pursuing the purpose God has placed us here for and ordering our lives around it is going to be a new experience. Most of us have never done this. Most of us don't happen to life. Life happens to us. You know, we don't go at life. We let life just come at us. And then one thing happens and nothing happens and we're just bombarded and we just kind of roll with it. And so the way most of us pursue life is just the roll with it approach. You know, I'm just going along and then whatever happens, I'll just roll with that. You know, and I'm thankful that God's in control and his purpose is going to be achieved and all that. That's all true. But how much better for us to know what it is we're supposed to be doing on a given day, in a given week, in a given month. There are going to be curveballs in a fallen world that are thrown at you all the time. But you know it's a curveball because you know what a straight fastball is supposed to look like. You have something to compare it to. And if you have this in place, you'll be able to adjust to the inevitable curveballs that come and then come back and readjust to it. And so we're going to look today then at a personal mission mission statement. Take a look at the top of page two. Successful organizations see the need to sharpen their focus through the careful explanation of the why, what, how of what they do. The process is known as the establishment of an organizational philosophy. And once the philosophy is identified, it's distilled into a concise summary known as a mission statement. Churches and individuals can also benefit from a clearly articulated statement of the biblical purpose and the objectives and the goals that dictate how they're going to accomplish the Lord's business. And so that's what we're going to to look at today. Now, we're going to skip for now pages 2 and 3. And if I have time to come back to them at the end, I will. But pages 2 and 3 are simply explaining 
what a mission statement is, what, what kinds of stuff should go into it, all of that. But I want to go to page four because it actually gives you an example of a mission statement. And as we go to page four and look at this example of a mission statement, let me explain something that, if you're awake, you may be thinking about. Hey, we haven't even taken time to define really clearly what our purpose is in this age. You just said, Brown, that God's purpose is always his glory, but how he achieves that glory changes at different times. So, how's he achieving his glory now? You haven't explained that. We haven't taken time to look at that. And yet, we're putting together a personal mission statement based upon a purpose statement. So why is that? Well, I admit that's, that's backwards. Page 12 next week, we will look at what the Bible says about how God's achieving his glory now. Starting on page 12, but next week. Now, why didn't I do it in the other order? Here's why. Because I know people get bored really easily. And I know people get bored really easily with me. So, toward the beginning of this thing, I wanted to try to show you that there really is some practical benefit to wading through this stuff. And so instead of going through the theory and the more abstract stuff, which I have a marvelous time with, and I hope you will next week as well, of seeing in painstaking detail what God has said in his word about how we're to achieve his glory in this age, before we do that, I want you to see that what we're engaging here will be a practical benefit to you. It's something you can actually implement in your life. And so I want us to see a personal mission statement and just assume that the purpose statement at the top of page 4 is correct for now. All right. So here's an example. And it begins at the top of page 4 with a statement of mission. And here's the statement. I exist to glorify God. I've already given that away. We all know that that's so far so good. But then there's the how is God achieving his glory at a particular time. And we'll see this next week. It's in the biblical mission. Now what is the biblical mission? How does that happen? Page 12 next week. But for now, just assume it's right. I exist, you exist, to glorify God in this thing called the biblical mission. Through maturing obedience to his word in every role of life. Pretty good. And as we go through next week and we see how God's achieving his glory at this time, if you can improve on that, please do. But if you don't feel the need to be original and improve on it, steal that. Because it will summarize what we're supposed to be about. Now notice, I do this. It tells me why I exist for the glory of God. It tells me what I do, the biblical mission. And it tells me how I do it. Maturing obedience to, every, uh, to his word in every role of life. And so I've already given the the why, and you guys don't argue with that. I exist for the glory of God. We're going to look at the what next week, the biblical mission. But today we're going to focus on the, the how part of it. Maturing obedience to his word in every role of life. And so putting together my mission statement starts with the statement itself, but then a delineation of what those God-given roles are. And so that's what these next few pages are about. It's laying out the roles, the responsibilities, the tasks that God has given you and me to do. And then we can order our lives around those things in order to achieve our our purpose. And so let's look at these 
roles of life that God has given us in, in his word. Step one, page four, list the various roles that you're required to fulfill in your life. Now notice the word required is emphasized. Because there are roles and stuff you do and stuff I do that I'm not required to do. It's just stuff I like to do. But we want to start with the stuff that God has said, this is what you have to do. This is what you're required to do. Because I'm going to know if I have time to do the stuff I don't have to do only after I fulfilled the things I do have to do. Now think about it for a second. If I haven't really laid out the things I have to do, and somebody comes along and says, I know I pick on golf a lot, but somebody comes and says, Ken, we've got three guys for a foursome on Thursday. Can you go? Now, is golf a role that I have to play? The answer is no. You might think it is, but the answer is no. It's not a role you have to play. But it might be something I want to play. How do I know if I'm able to do that? Only if I fulfilled the things that I'm required to do. And so I have to focus on the stuff that God has said, you have to do this. These are the priorities for you. And if you've done those things, there are going to be times where you do things that you don't have to do, you just like to do. They're, they're rest for you. And so you are, you are playing to live. You're resting to get back in the game. And golf might be a way to do that. Now, I can tell you, this happens to me almost every week. I get somebody say, do you want to go golf? And um, I think it's because they want somebody worse than them. That's why I get all these invitations. It makes them feel better about themselves. Not because I'm such great company, certainly not because I'm a great golfer. And the answer is almost always, in fact, so far this entire summer, is no. I can't go. Would I like to go sometimes? Sure. But I can't go. Why can't I go? Because I got this other stuff that I'm required to do. So getting the required stuff down tells you whether or not you're available to do the things that are not required. So we start there. List the various roles you're required to fulfill in your life. And there are what I call on page four common roles, but then there are individual roles. The common roles, notice in parentheses, they're universal. That is, these are things that apply to every one of us. They're common, they're universal. So no matter who you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, the six things that are listed there are things that are required of you and required of me. As we'll see in a minute, the individual stuff are vocations. They may apply to you, they may not. They're going to be different. So let's first focus on the things that apply to every one of us. Roles that we're all to fulfill, six of them. And I think you all would agree that I have, and you have, each of us, these roles to play. That we are to be students of God's Word. That's a role that I'm to play. I've got to be learning what God says. So I have to be reading and I have to be studying God's Word. That means I've got to order my life in such a way that reading and studying God's Word is a part of the plan. It's a role that all of us have if we're followers of Jesus. But I'm also to be a sharer of God's Word. And all that means is I am to be a witness for Jesus. That I'm to share the gospel with other people. 
So I'm to learn and to study God's word, but if I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm also to share the gospel with other people. It's a role that he's given all of us to play. Thirdly, I'm to be a servant in God's church. God has told us in his word, and again, I'm not trying to prove these. I'm assuming you'll, you know this. If you don't, I'm available to talk. But that God has given all of us a role, the role of being a servant in his church to play. God has said a good bit in scripture about the fact that he has gifted all of us different ways to be involved as servants in, in his church. And he requires of each of us to use our gifts and abilities that came from him in that work. We're to be servants in God's church. Fourth, I'm to be a steward of God's resources. God has everything I have belongs to God. I don't really own anything. I don't own my time. I don't own my money. I don't own my house. I don't even really own my kids. They're an inheritance from the Lord. It all comes from His hand and it's entrusted to me. It's entrusted to you to manage for Him. So when we say we are stewards of God's resources, most of the time we talk about stewardship, we're talking about money. It includes money, but it's not just money. It's everything that God has placed in my management for him. And thus the resources, plural. It includes money, it includes time, it includes our families, it includes our homes. Everything belongs to him. Fifthly, I'm going to be a seeker of God's intimacy. Well, you notice they all start with S. So I was, I was really pulling the thesaurus out. <laughs> but all that means is I've got to spend time, I gotta spend time communing with God. You know, the first one is I'm a student of God's Word. And while I'm studying God's Word, I may also be praying. But maybe I'm not. But whether I'm doing it that time or not, I've got to have some time where I commune with God. That's what I mean by a seeker of God's intimacy. I pray. I commune with God. I talk to Him. I tell Him my cares. I praise Him. I engage in prayer. That's something that God requires all of us to do. And then sixthly, I call it a support of God's social order. What's God's social order? Well, believe it or not, as much as we hate taxes and all that stuff, you know, government is a gift from God. Did you all know that? The Bible says that in Romans 13. That God gives us government to protect us from the effects of evil. And one of the first, first responsibilities a government has is to protect its people. And, you know, we had this, this horrible situation recently in Taylor where this uh, police officer was killed. And that, that, should, that should remind us. And I sent a note to all of you on our email list to remind myself and remind you to thank God for, for folks who put their lives on the line for us, both overseas and here, because that's a good gift from God, because we live in a fallen and evil world. And it would be much, much, much worse if we didn't have the protection that God provides in his social order. So when I say support for God's social order, it's a mouthful, but it means I'm a good citizen. You're a good citizen. And we exercise our right to vote. And we encourage those that are part of that social order to, to, to help us. 
And we don't, you know, as much as we might disagree, we don't just spout off and complain, particularly in front of our children because we're teaching them to despise something that God has given us. So be careful about that. I'm a supporter of God's social order. All right. Those are six common universal roles. Every one of us is required by God to play these. But then there's our particular station in life, and that's going to differ. And that's why 7 through 10 are in a separate category called individual roles. Notice the word there, vocation. The word vocation comes from a Latin word, vox, V-O-X. And we we get our word uh, voice from it. You ever hear somebody say, so-and-so missed his calling? That idea of calling comes from this idea of vocation or voice. That, that, That God has certain things he has all of us to do, but he has particular things for some of us to do. And it's our vocation, it's our, it's our calling. And some of those are just providential, demographic sorts of things. Number 10 is something that God has called me to do down at the bottom, but, but not you. And so, you may or may not be a worker in God's vineyard. You may or may not be an employee outside the home. And so that's why it's an individual thing. Most of us are, but, but some of us may not be. And so it may not apply to you. But if we are, God has instructions in Scripture about how that's to be fulfilled. A worker in his vineyard. A husband of a God-given spouse. You may not be married. If you're not married, then obviously that doesn't... If you're married and you're the wife, then you're the wife of a God-given husband. But I'm the husband of a God-given spouse as married. I'm the father of of God-given children. You may be married but not have any children. And then in my case, I'm a pastor of a God-given flock. Now... I've explained how that's laid out in those two categories. You're going to have to fill in, and there might be more than ten. I've just come up with ten for myself. So you may have a bunch of these individual things that God has placed as roles for you, and so you list them. But I've explained the two categories. Now notice this. Every, all ten of those are, I'm a student of, a worker of, a husband of, and then notice the next word after of or in. It's God's. You guys see that? I'm a student of God's word, share of God's word, serving in God's church. It's God's resources, God's intimacy, God's social order, God's vineyard, God-given spouse, God-given children, God-given flock. Do you see an emphasis here? (laughs) That it's all God's? And so I'm just reminding you of that, that that's purposely worded that way. To say that I stand before God, you stand before God in how you're going to fulfill these responsibilities. They're His. All right, so the first step is list the various roles that you're required to fulfill in your life. Here's the second step then on page 5. Identify the biblical principles that direct, and then notice the word that's emphasized, how you're going to play those. So all six of those common universal roles, they apply to all of us, and so all six of them are filled in. And I have taken all six of those and looked at Scripture to say what does God tell us about how we're to go about each of those. So you take being a student of God's Word. Here's how I am a student of God's Word. I read it and I learn it. I read it regularly and I learn it regularly. That's what God tells me to do. Read it regularly, study it regularly. Now, Notice those words, read and learn, are in italics. 
In fact, every one of the words that's in italics is a verb. And the reason is, it's because it's something you, you do now. God's given me these roles, so I've got verbs. Stuff I've got to do in order to fulfill those roles. In order to fulfill the role of being a student of God's Word, I've got to read and learn, and I've got a blank after every one of these. There might be some others, but I'm giving you examples of what God says about being a student of His Word, reading and learning at a minimum. Being a sharer of God's Word means I establish redemptive relationships. I do something intentionally. I establish redemptive relationships. That is, I establish relationships with people who don't know Jesus on purpose. And I demonstrate, says the Bible, exemplary character. Because I'm to be salt and light before those people. So I have to do at minimum those two things to carry out that role. And on it goes. Servant of God's church, I use and I cultivate. Use my talents. Cultivate edifying relationships within the church. Building others up within the church. A steward of God's resources, I give. I have to give. Not I have to. That's not what that means. It means I make it a point to try to have some extra to give to people. Because of Ephesians 4.28. And so I give to the church, but I also try to have some so that when this person in need, not if, this person, when this person in need comes along, there's something to actually give. Strive for, for bodily health. And in preparation for this, the strive for bodily health thing, I'm going to go teach you guys about me striving for bodily health. So I had to go get a membership at the rec center, and I have to get my carcass out of bed. And I, I want to say jog. I was going to say run. Then I was going to say jog. And, and the truth is, it's waddle. I waddle around the track. <laughs> but, but so that I can be true to what I'm telling you here, I am I'm in waddle mode these days. As a seeker of God's intimacy, I commune with him, and then I preserve God's ordained institutions. Your individual roles, you do the same thing. What are the, what are the verbs? What are the action items that God gives you in Scripture in order to carry those out? And I just give you an example of one. As a worker in God's vineyard, I must labor, and I labor in a particular way with quality and with honesty, according to Colossians chapter 3. Now, if any of that's making sense to you, trying to go in a logical order here for you to see how it works and why it's laid out the way it is and to make it as simple as possible if any of that makes sense to you go to step three and since no pages are turning that means it makes no sense to anyone but it's create an action plan to implement or did I step three on page six to implement those roles so all you've done here now is you've taken what you've put in the second step I got to read and I got to learn I've got to establish and I've got to demonstrate. I've got to use and I've got to cultivate. But now I'm establishing a frequency with which I'm going to do this. So now I'm getting very close to the nitty-gritty of how I'm going to order my life around this stuff. I'm going to read God's Word how often? I'm going to learn God's Word how often? I'm going to establish relationships with so-and-so by doing such-and-such. 
So now you're getting very practical in implementing these action items that came from step two. So I'll read God's word every day. And learn God's word, you know, depending on what kind of of time you have. There's no requirement to do a full study every day on God's word. So it might be once a week. Depending on your time schedule, you might be able to do it every, every 10 days, every two. I don't know. But identify something that fits where God has placed you. And I will do that every and then put in the frequency. And then likewise for the rest of these, establishing redemptive relationships with Joe across the street. And I'm going to do this with Joe across the street by inviting him to a barbecue. Or inviting him to our Challenge Cup golf outing that we had yesterday. Or whatever it is. So it's not just, you know, one of these days I hope to get around to talking to Joe. It's I'm going to establish this with Joe by doing X. And you go all the way down the list. I'll give to the church whatever amount that is, and I'll do that every. If you get paid every month, it might be every month. If you get paid every other week, whatever it is. But you establish it. I'll have to give by saving X amount each month. So that I have some money aside to fulfill Ephesians 4.28 to help those that are, that are in need. And on it goes. Individual roles, page 7. And again, these may not all apply to you. So you, if you're not an employee outside of the home, then this first one, you're not on a time schedule. It may not apply to you, although... If you're laboring at home, if you're a housewife and a homemaker, it's a good idea for you to establish some sort of schedule similar to what you would do if you were punching a clock. If you don't have a spouse, this won't apply to you. But notice this now. I'll labor every day from X to, and that goes into your schedule. But then there's these other verbs. You know, I'm to love my wife. I'm to, I'm to lead my wife. I'm to protect and to know my wife. And so I've got to say how and when I'm going to do that. Likewise, I'm a father of God-given children. So I'm going to, the Bible says, here are the verbs. Train, love, instruct. And here's how and when I'm going to do that. Now, you put all of that together. And then you, at the bottom of page 7, you schedule your action plan. time you get done with that, you have taken everything that God has told you to do. And now you've got a pretty full schedule, don't you? So, somebody calls you and says, can you go golf this week? I don't know. Maybe you can. Maybe, seriously, maybe you can. Depends on where you are. But you'll know whether you can or not because you've got the deal. It is just like money, isn't it? Can we afford to buy this thing? Well, the only way if we'll know if we can afford it is if we have some benchmark against which to compare that, right? We're keeping track. The only way I know if I've got time to do this extra stuff is if I'm keeping track of the stuff I'm supposed to do. You'll know you desperately need this thing if... Every time somebody asks you to do something, you can do it. I know people like this. Every time somebody has tickets to go to the Tiger game, they can go. 
every time somebody has needs a, a fourth for the golf thing, they can go. You know you desperately need something like this if you can always do it. Because if that's the case, you're not keeping track of what you're doing. You have not purposely, intentionally ordered your life around what God requires of us. Now, look, this thing, I don't know anybody who does this perfectly, myself included. So as you look at it, I hope you have a mixture of, on the one hand, this is, this is a good thing. I need to do something. I need to do this order my life around God's purpose, to use the time he's given for his purpose. But I hope you also feel somewhat overwhelmed. You go, holy cow, I'll never have any fun. I'll never have any time for anything. And the truth is nobody, nobody does this perfectly. Nobody I know does this perfectly. And that, that is not the point. I said this did not come from Holy Writ. It's not out of Scripture. It is simply wise suggestions for how to implement what Scripture tells us to do. And for most of us, it's going to be a tool that helps us. Now, there always has to be some flexibility in the thing. Because curveballs come. Stuff happens in a given week, and I've got my schedule laid out, and then something happens that messes up the schedule. You know, you get sick and go into the hospital, that's going to mess up your schedule. And if you're not careful, if you don't have the right mindset, you're not only going to be sick and in the hospital, you're going to feel guilty about being in the hospital. Because you got this stupid sheet that Brown made you fill out. <laughs> and now I'm not only sick, I'm a big fat sinner as well. Because I'm not doing all this stuff on my list. Well, that's not, the, that's not the point. It's supposed to be a help, not a hindrance. To help us see where we are and to help us order our lives. I will tell you this. I will tell you this. If you will do this thing even three quarters of the way, it will help you immensely. It will help you get your act together. It will help you with personal management so that you are able to engage in personal ministry in ways that you cannot right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, that resonates in your heart. You say, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to serve you effectively. I want to please you. And so I thank you that you're giving me some tool, simple though it be, that helps me see the big picture and how I need to order my life around that, around that big picture. Now, the remaining pages, 8 through 11, are these. They're exactly what we just went over, but all of the individual role stuff is all blank for you to fill in. So this is from 8 to 11, the same sheet, personal mission statement, but only with the common roles filled in, none of the individual stuff. So that you can then go through and say, what individual vocations, callings do I have? If you're a father, then put in, you put in what I have. If you're a husband, put in what I have. If you're a pastor, let me know about that. <laughs> but go through and put the ones that you have, and then go through the same exercise of looking at what Scripture says about the action items associated with each of those, and then how you're going and how frequently you're going to do them. And then implement them. Now, this should go without saying. I've got one minute. But as you schedule this, it means you need some tool to schedule it. I mean, back in the day, back when I was a young adult in the 80s, 
You know, it was before the days of all the automated personal computer stuff. And so all of us carried around planners. And there were day timers. Anybody remember day timers? And Franklin planners. And so everybody had one of these things. And most of us didn't have anything in it, but we wanted people to think we did. So we, you had to carry one at work. So that was the way you did it, you know, by pen and paper, pencil and paper. Well, you may be a, still be a pencil and paper person. So there's all kinds of that stuff available for you to use to say, I'm going to do this weekly, and so you actually write it down weekly. But most of you are able to automate it. So in your personal management system, in your software, you're able to put it on your calendar right there, and it's able to beep at you, give you nasty messages tell you that you missed this or it's time for you to go and do this, right? But you need some tool, whether it's a computer tool or a manual handwritten tool, in order to write down and actually schedule it. Now, if I've got that and somebody says, can you do X? I can look at it. I can say, can I do X? Right? Are you available on Thursday? Well, let me look at Thursday. And I've got my stuff that God has told me to do for Thursday. And if I'm available on Thursday, then great. Go and golf, have a great time. But at least I'll know. And every morning I will wake up knowing that that morning I am pursuing the purpose for which God has placed me here. Friends, it's a great, great gift from God. So I encourage you to use that. Begin using that this week. Next week, beginning on page 12, we'll actually see how God wants to implement pursuit of his glory in the age that we live in, this thing that we call the biblical mission. Okay? Let's pray. We'll be done. Father, we thank you for this time, and even though it's just on this practical tool, it's not a Bible study per se, so it's different for us. But Lord, we believe that it's carrying out what you have told us to do, and that is to help each other, and for older men to help younger men, and older women to help younger women, because you've given us these responsibilities, and so so often they're like balls that we're trying to juggle. And there are so many of them, and they're in no particular order, that they sometimes fall to the ground. It's very frustrating. Then we come to church, and we hear that we're supposed to serve, and we're supposed to give of our time and our talent and our treasure. And we come away even more frustrated, because I can't keep the balls in the air that I have, let alone do these other things. And yet, Lord, because we want to please you and because we want to bring glory to you in the way that you have said in your word, we want to order our lives in such a way as to maximize what we're able to do for you. And I thank you for the brothers and sisters here for whom that's the case. And I pray that then this tool will be helpful to them, helpful to your work in general to that end. Help us this week as we try to implement it. Help us as we try to be more conscious this week of things like being a sharer of the gospel with those around us so that our character is exemplary, perhaps in ways that it hasn't been in the past. That would be a marvelous thing if just things like that happen this week. So grant us a good week as we begin to implement this. And then when we come back next week, help us to clearly see from your word how it is that you have established your mission in order to achieve your glory in this age so that we can all come away absolutely convinced that what we're pursuing and how we're ordering our lives is precisely what you want from us. Go with us this week, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.